It was a different trip, but the same outcome for the Huskies basketball team, losing eight games in a row. The dogs blow second-half leads in both games, and the pattern of losses with leads will continue. It has become a tiring pattern for players, coaches, and fans. This is Husky Hardcourt, Sports Illustrated, Husky Maven. I'm Trevor. I'm Jake, and we are like Shaquille and Kobe. O'Neal and Bryant? <laughs> that was a softball. It, it was a softball, but I feel like I, it's fitting. Yeah. We're a little bit behind the eight ball with it, but you know what? Sometimes you need a softball to uh, commemorate greatness. I agree. Yeah, Jake and I talked after the day that uh, Kobe Bryant died, and it was uh, it was really weird because both of us, this was the first celebrity death that probably affected us the most, um, I would say. Eh. I can't think of another celebrity death that I actually thought this much me, about. I can, me, I can because I am a race car driver. Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt. Yep. So that that one hit me probably equal to Kobe Bryant because I'm a race car driver and I was a basketball player. And they were both super influential in my life. And, uh, you know, watch, watching the news on Kobe, it, it almost didn't seem real. Yeah. Uh, there, there's there's times that life throws you a, a curveball and, and it's hard to, uh, hard to believe that curveball, you know. Yeah. And that was one of those moments. Trev. Yeah. We're here to talk about Husky basketball. And uh, <sighs> I, feel, I feel like we've uh, been in this the same topic before where the Huskies show great in the first half and uh, kind of just completely fall apart in the second half. And, you know, we're not here to, to you know, beat a dead horse or uh, as some people like to say, feed a fed horse. Shout out, Peta. Unfortunately, we have to uh, we have to talk about it. And they went to USC and UCLA. They had leads in the second half of both games, and they lost both. So, give me a little bit of recap on uh, on on both on the USC game, and tell me your thoughts about it. So, the USC game was particular. Here's the deal. We could keep ha- we could just I could edit the names of the teams and keep putting out the same episode every single week. Right, yes. So <laughs> our goal here why don't we? <laughs> you know what? I maybe Leonard would stop looking at me like that cuz we're going to go to the dog park after this. This has been so, uh, uh Husky Hardcourt. <laughs> yeah. So but we want to. I want to give you a little bit different take. We're going to recap, and then there's some other things that we can talk about that I haven't necessarily heard talk about in the media. Um, so you know, USC. This team is so different from when Washington played USC earlier, when they beat them by 32 points. Yeah. Um, the uh, this team is so broken, just like Noah said last week, that SC held out on and. Onyeke Okongwu, uh, their leading scorer, and felt comfortable still taking care of Washington. Yeah. Now, the difference in Washington, obviously, is they don't have Quade Green. We'll get to that later. But looking at the, at, um, at the first half versus the second half, Washington, um, Washington played really well in the first half. 
And this team looked like that they were going to, uh, again, run away with it. But this team, I don't know if you want to call it the yips, if they're the Chuck Knobloch of college basketball, but they cannot hold a lead in the second half. They get, uh, they only, they scored 30 points in the first half, 26 in the second. The difference is they gave up 25 in the first half and 37 in the second half. That's telling me that this team is getting fatigued when it matters. Therefore they're, they're getting their shots are short on the offensive end and they're not getting out on shooters on the defensive end. Are they getting fatigued? Are they getting tight? Are they tensing up and, and thinking too much when they get a lead and the team cuts that lead from 15 to 10 and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, here we go again moment. And they start to tighten up thinking, you know, this is going to happen again. Now I'm not in their minds, but I think that they go hand in hand that when they're slow to get out on shooters and they start giving up points and that those big leads are cut. Yeah. Um, you hear that here we go again and the legs start to go. Yeah. So, you know, um, in this game, they only had, they had three players play over 30 minutes um, Nas played 37, Stewart 34, McDaniels 32. Uh, they were also the three leading scorers on the team. McDaniels with 19, Stewart with 13, and Nas with eight. So not a ton of production from the other guys. And, you know, I it, it's, it, it was an emotional night for USC as they retired DeMar DeRozan's number. So they had some extra juice in that second half, but I think it comes down to what Washington isn't able to do in that second half. And these young guys are just getting beat down by the situation. Yeah. So on the opposite side of the ball, USC, one of the guys that I've always thought created big mismatch issues for Washington, even when Washington was good, uh, is Rakovich. And I always thought that he was a good player because he's a big guy, but he can also hit that 15-foot jumper. And he was 9-17 to from the field with 19 points and 9 rebounds. So he was working well. We've seen that before. The soft spot of that zone, we we talked about that when we played Oregon State last. When Trace Tinkle, yep. Yeah, we thought Trace Tinkle was going to kill us from that 15-foot area, the 12 to 15-foot area, where that soft spot of that zone is kind of the high, the high key, you know, where mid-range jumpers are left open all day. And if you have a guy that can take advantage of that spot and be consistent, then they're going to absolutely torch you. Uh, and and UC, or, uh, USC did a really good job of, of taking care of the ball and getting him to a spot where – it was that soft spot of the zone, and guys just don't have enough time to rotate to get to them before he can get a good-looking shot off. And he's a good enough player that he's going to hit that a lot more times than not. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a, a matchup nightmare for this team running the 2-3 zone against him. And this is one of those times that I think maybe it would be better suited to – maybe not run the 2-3 zone as much as we do against a team like USC who has a guy that once he starts getting hot from that mid-range zone, 
start running more man and, and always having a guy in his face. Or you could run a matchup zone to where somebody's always on that guy. Well, and that, you know, the thing was, is Rukovic was so good because not only was he able to catch and score, but he also did a good job getting it down into Mobley when they would come. Uh, he ended right. up with four assists on the night. The other part was Jonah Matthews. Um, he just moved into fourth place all time and three point percentage for, uh, for USC. He was yeah. lights out in the second half hitting, uh, jumpers where he was able to stand still and hit a jump, uh, and, and shoot his jumpers, which yeah. with a guy who's that good, if he, with nobody in his face, he's going to make those jumpers. Right. Right. Moving, moving on to UCLA, uh, kind of similar, uh, rinse and outcome. repeat. Right. But kind of with a different style of play, wouldn't you say? Um, yeah, this w- this game was really, really interesting because it's it's kind of the same. It was a little more balanced. UCLA in, in the, most of the second half was able to keep it uh, a 10-point cushion where USC's was really emotional as as Matthews was hitting those jumpers. Um, UCLA took the lead and it was, it was just business as usual. They suffocated the Washington offense and Washington's defense yet again, 27 points in the first half. They give up 40 points in the second half. And that's the major difference. Yeah. But as far as the games go, Washington had the lead against UCLA a lot longer than they had the lead against USC. And, and it seemed like, you know, you're right. They kind of kept it at a, at a 10 point distance, but they kept it at that 10 point distance for quite a while, Yeah, you know, until almost halfway into the second half. But then when UCLA caught him, there was no looking back. And, and, and you're right. They did suffocate that once they figured out stopping Isaiah Stewart was the key. It, our offense shelled up and there was no shooting and there was no ball movement. And, and that's been a recurring pattern for this team of, of lack of ball control. And it almost watching them, man, I don't know what it is. And it's not just post-entry passes anymore. Oh, it's God. at the top of the key that it just doesn't seem like they can make the most simple pass without getting it intercepted. And, and I think that's a direct reflection of maybe killing your dribble a little bit too early to where you get stuck a little bit too high from the key. And the pressure from the defenses are so hard that it, it just rattles these guys. But, man, it just seems like the simplest passes are difficult for these guys right now. In the second half, this team is broken. And yeah. it's it's really, really hard to watch. Every single one of these players on this team is a really good basketball player. Yeah. But man, do they have, they look like they're in their heads. They don't trust their abilities and it is, it has just turned some really high level players. Uh, they, I've never seen such talented players have to work so hard to get two points. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to watch because there's guys that are going to be playing in the NBA on this team. They're yet again, a team that's going to put a bunch of guys in the lottery that don't go to the tournament. And that's a really weird thing to say, 
Uh, one thing I'll highlight, Amir Wright started the game, played a minute, did not see the floor again. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a what happened. We saw um, a Raekwon battle not playing a bunch of games. He got 20 minutes against UCLA, nine points all in the first half. Yeah. But Hamir Wright didn't see the, the court again. The difference there is Hamir Wright's a junior who's played a lot of basketball. So I'm not sure what happened there. I'll be really curious to see what happens on Thursday if he's, if he, if he's back in the rotation or not. Yeah. And, and Raekwon, you mentioned Raekwon. Raekwon is kind of the forefront of the guys that in the first half plays super loose. Like he knows what he's doing, has no problem getting shots off. And then in the second half, kind of disappears and that's kind of been a pattern of his and it's kind of been a pattern of this team and, and it kind of mirrors when Raekwon goes away so does this team and I, I don't think that it correlates with each other it's probably just by chance that Raekwon struggles big time in the second half and so does this team but so does Marcus Sahonis yeah yeah and, and, and maybe it's just all of these pieces where all of these young guys have fresh legs coming into the game and then as the game wears on, so did their legs and they go away and all of a sudden, you know, they're not they're not shooting as freely and, and they're getting tight and, and getting tired. Yeah. And right now, the two players that are playing the best for this team are the two best players on the team. Isaiah Stewart, um, when he's getting he was five for six from the field, 15 points and 10 rebounds. Jane yeah. McDaniels over the last few games has been in that 15 point, 15 to 19 point range. And he's looked really, really good. Um, I think he's figured it out. Unfortunately, at the same time, this team is in an absolute tailspin and he still doesn't have the ability to break a guy down off the dribble because they're able to send so many at him because of the lack of the respect that they show to the other players on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on from these two games, you've expressed um, some, maybe not anger, but some displeasure with this team and what has happened to this point. And I think a lot of it stems with one particular player. So why don't you elaborate a little bit on that? So, you know, Jake and I have been doing this for a while, um, whether it's football or basketball. And we really try to do – these are amateur athletes that are, are young men. Uh, so we try not to put a lot of blame on them. Because the fact is the coach, you know, they, they're, they're supposed to go out and execute, but it's the coach's jobs to put them in the best position. Right. And so there's never been a time where, you know, think back to, you know, maybe a game that Jacob Eason didn't have a great game. I was never mad at Jacob Eason. I, I want to keep this in perspective, but I am very, very frustrated with what has happened because of Quad A Green. Yeah. This offense was designed for Quade Green to shine. He was supposed to be the guy who got the offense started. He was supposed to be the guy to keep the defenses from collapsing in on Isaiah Stewart. You put him on the floor, you now have four bona fide scorers. And his absence has spoken volumes. The only game they've won since he's been gone is the Oregon State game. Yeah, And the fact is... He couldn't keep his grades up. 
how often do you see kids at the University of Washington academically ineligible? I can't think of the last one off the top of my head. No. With that being said, there are so many losses that a good point guard helps his team win because he was meant to be the floor general. Yeah. He was the one that was supposed to facilitate the offense. And he was the one that was going to take this team as far as they could go. And we saw how far they could go because the only team that Baylor has lost to was Washington. Yeah. Washington almost beat, uh, beat the number one team in the country, almost beat Gonzaga, the number two team in the country, and was looking good in conference when he, when he was deemed academically ineligible. And the one thing that this team cannot do is finish down the stretch. And a really yeah. good point guard makes that happen. And Jake, you played AAU ball with a point guard that was nowhere near as talented as Quade Green, but he was a starter at Stanford, not because he was a uh, the best athlete on the court or the best player on the court, but because he was a fantastic point guard. Mitch Johnson. You've talked to me about him and, and when he was playing at Stanford. And what you talked about wasn't the fact that he was the best shooter, the best ball handler, the best passer, the best defender. Go ahead and talk about what Mitch Johnson was for you guys and when you saw him at the Division One level, what he did. Well, you kind of you kind of nailed it on the head. He was, he was mostly just a floor general. The guy could absolutely lead a team and get this team headed in the right direction at all times. And I see a lot of, on the court, quad, you know, quad A in – uh, Mitch Johnson, where he's, you know, Quade can actually shoot a little bit better than Mitch Johnson, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. But the fact that they always know where to go with the ball, who's open, the right pass, what off, you know, he, Mitch Johnson could, he always got the offense flowing. And he always was so smart about the way that he played the game of basketball. And as a point guard, that's kind of what you want. You don't need the best scorer or the best athlete. You know, having ball handles obviously is a must, but somebody that is the smartest person on your team when it comes to playing basketball is a must, and Miss Johnson was that. And I saw a lot of Miss Johnson in Quad A Green where he was the ideal floor general, where he always passed the ball up to get the, the offense rolling before defense could get set, which is a great thing because if you get that defense flying around, you know, we used to call it FFA. I'm, I'm going to change it up a little bit, and it was freaking fly around. Yeah. And out of defense doing that instead of dropping back and getting into their defense and setting up for you, that's huge. And Quade was really good at pushing that ball up the court. And when things weren't there, he was the first one to call for the ball back out. And, and I think that was a really good move by him. And I thought he was a really good facilitator of the ball. You know, he, he always knew where to go and he could make those passes that guys were struggling with now. And I think that's where this team has probably taken the biggest hit is he never got rattled. You know, Quad is no. always calm, cool, collected. And that's what this team is missing. Everything looks hard. And they are they are panicked on the offensive side of the ball in the second half. And that's right. because they don't have a bona fide point guard. I think, honestly, some of the anger towards Jamal Bay is not warranted because he's playing out of position. Right. And Marcus Zahonis was he not supposed to be playing this year. 
Well, and even even Sahonis, he he looks for a shot a lot more than Quade does. Yeah, you know, and so. I can I can I, I can get behind that, but this team is not designed for that. Right. Right. And it's just it's just really it's really frustrating. The second half to this is it is what it is. He's not there. How do we watch this team now? Because we had expectations of this team making the tournament and making a run. Yeah. And is that still possible? Yes. Is it going to happen? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I hope I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. Yeah. How do we watch this team for the rest of the year? And that's my second half at this point. And that is we need to look at this team like the team that Noah was on his freshman year where they did, they won some games. They didn't win enough to get to the tournament, but you saw a lot of really young players get a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, Noah Dickerson was a player. He was at the end of his career because of the lumps he took as a freshman same with Matisse Thibel, same with David Crisp, same with Dominic Green. Those guys all played, and they took their lumps, and they lost a lot of games. And I remember talking with those guys uh, on, one, on our roundtable, and I looked back, and they lost. They didn't win a game like after like, – it was like January or something. Yeah. And it was the same situation that – they only were blown out of a couple games and it was games they lost by a little bit because they didn't know how to close. So the way I'm going to watch this for the rest of the year is absolute development. I want to see the young guys. Now, now with that being said, in my opinion, there's going to be a lot of turnover on this team. Okay. You have a lot of young guys, but you have a lot of young guys that are also leaving. Yeah. Now with those young guys that are leaving, uh, you have um, Isaiah gone. You have uh, McDaniel's gone. Those are, those are locks being gone. Okay, Nas is probably gone. He's probably one or two plays away from being drafted in you know and going to the league. Can you imagine when he goes to the combine? He's he's an athletic freak. So yeah. you know the NBA loves that. So he's probably gone. Okay, now that leaves you with Hamir Wright, who's a yep. junior. You have Quade, who's a sophomore. Now, of these guys that are coming back, who do you think has a spot on this team next year? Do you think after Quade being academically ineligible, do you think that he is just given a spot for next year? It's not even just it's not even just uh, Quade. I mean, obviously these are really detailed questions, but you know, does Hamir Wright have a a spot on this team next year with the underperformance of him. Does he transfer to somewhere that he's going to get to play? You know, there's a lot of guys that are underperforming and a lot of these guys are probably playing for their scholarships next year. Kwade doesn't have a chance to play for his scholarship because he can't play, but he's got a lot to do to prove that he'll be here next year as well. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, The Kwade one intrigues me. The question for Kwade is, does he want to be at the university of Washington? Um, and if he does, there's a spot for him. What he's going to have to prove to the coaches is in this next quarter, does is he eligible? And right. that'll speak volumes. If he would be eligible, that shows me that he wants to be at the University of Washington. Um, has he shown enough on tape to go play in the NBA? Uh, my guess would be no. I think that he – I think he probably – if he wants to play in the NBA, he's got to play a full season of college basketball at some point. Yeah. But 
does he decide to go play professionally somewhere? He absolutely can. That's his right. And he's good enough to, I don't know. That one's really hard. Hamir, Wright. My guess is I can see two scenarios. Um, you know, this, this is his junior year. He's been there for every term. Um, he's been there for summer term. My guess is he probably graduates and then he gets to reassess. Does he want to play for hop for his senior year? Or does he want to leave? I don't think he's playing for his scholarship because, frankly, I, looking at the recruiting class, there's going to be scholarships to be had. Yeah. So does he have a spot? My guess is yes, because still, I think if you put him in the correct spots, he can still be a glue guy. But again, this team, if he was the fifth option and he was able to play defense and rebound the basketball, we would not be there would not be so much anger towards Hamir Wright. However, he's had to expand his role and it's been really hard for him because when he catches the ball, when he's standing still, he hits those jumpers and we've seen him climb out of his funk. But when he has to put the ball on the deck, that's just not his game. You know, and and I hate going back to it, but losing Quade Green has made guys play out of position. Right. And and, and I guess Hamir's question is, what does he think his role is going to be for next year? Does he think that his role is going to be expanded? Does he think that his role is solidified? You know, if if there's a bunch of questions going into next year, what Hamir's role is, I don't think he stays because I think he wants to go and he, he wants to play. So if he, if he comes into next year with, uncertainty wrapped all around his name why would he stay you know and and, and I don't think with the way that uh recruiting has gone so far this year this team might not be any better next year because it's still going to be young because there's not a whole lot of senior leadership that has the ability to carry a team on its back so we could be looking at a down year next year and does Amir want to stay for that yeah, that's a good question. And the other question is, does he become the next Sam Timmons? Because Sam Timmons' role has been diminished almost to nothing. Right. Um, I understand why Sam Timmons came back, because this team was supposed to be really good, and he was going to be able to be a contributor on a really good team. Right. But things have gone poorly, and he still has not played much. That's the question that Hamir is going to have to answer. I, I think there could be some definite turnover among the players and among the coaches because this this has become a really awkward situation but the guys that we should be focused on for the rest of the year i say nate roberts marcus yeah. Sahonis, raekwon battle brian, brian penn johnson and brian penn johnson let those guys get their feet wet of course you're going to keep playing nas carter should not sit on the bench of course you're going to play some of your young guys and if whatever happened with him you're right if he's able to get back in the rotation great i think at this point you expand the rotation and just let those guys get valuable game experience yeah i think i think his hand is forced and i think that's probably what you're going to see the rest of the year you know obviously you don't want to lose every game the rest of the year because that doesn't look good so hop has a kind of a tricky situation with trying to do what you said with getting young guys talent but still being competitive and trying to win basketball games for you know to keep his seat from being hot you know i personally i don't think it is because you know noah's right he just won two pac-12 titles and or two two pac-12 coaches of the year and and, uh, you know, obviously they're having a down year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's 
in jeopardy of losing his job, but he still needs to win games. You know, Washington, and, and not just for him, but for recruits as well. You know, the more yeah. you win, obviously, the better you look. So sure. you still want to go out and you want to win, and you want to beat some of those rivals as well. You want to, you want to, you know, you want to beat Wazoo any chance that you get and any time that you play them. And you definitely want to beat them after the way that you lost to them last time. Yep. So it's kind of a tricky balance of what coach has to do. Coach Hop has to do the rest of the year. And this could be his learnest or his hardest learning experience as a coach is this year with, with struggling the way that they do and him having to balance, you know, winning is a lot easier than losing when you're supposed to win. Yeah. So he definitely has his work cut out for him. Yeah. And you know, whether he expands his roles or not, that's how I am as a viewer going to watch this team from now on. I want to see those. I, I'm going to be very interested in the minutes that those younger guys get Washington. The reality is Washington on paper should, could still beat every single team they play. My reality is I, I think they can beat Cal this week. And they have an opportunity to beat Wazoo. Uh, though yeah. I'm hoping for t- my my hope is two more wins. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at. This is we're hoping for a better week. We're hoping next week we can talk about at least one win. We got the Bay Area schools coming up here. That's when the slide started, man. Like Washington had Stanford beat, and they had Cal, and they yep. couldn't. They it is coming full circle. We've gone through each team. We're starting, uh, you know, we've played the L.A. schools twice now. We'll play the Bay Area schools twice. we got to see something different. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. That'll do it for Husky Hardcore. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and give us those five stars. And for more great daily Husky content, go to si.com forward slash college forward slash Washington. Go dogs. Go dogs.